0: Well, good morning, Grace. Good morning. I'm really glad you guys came today and are tuning in. Uh, this is Christmas at Grace, my favorite season to be here. Uh, clearly, you know, the music is amazing. I just love when we get to let the band kind of show off their skills they've worked so hard with, and then we're trying to do as much as we can during this uh, crazy COVID season to still make it a f- a safe family event. This year our Christmas Eve service, um, we'd love for you to we we need you to register for Christmas Eve service. We're going to make a lot of decisions based on attendance and how we can put, you know, everybody in here and how we can be super careful for that. So make sure you register and if you can't come then de-deregister if you did that because we need an accurate count. Also, we need volunteers. So uh, if you could do that as well and we're going to make volunteering as easy as possible. In addition to that, we are also going to have a Home for Christmas kit care package. We'll start giving these out a week from Monday. Not this Monday and Tuesday, but a week from Monday and Tuesday in the courtyard. And it comes with a cocoa mix and a couple of cookies. You can't eat those until after the service. And a couple of candles. We'll do a candlelight service at your house. We'll have fake candles here because it's COVID and we can't do anything that could be fun. So... So anyway, uh, uh, keep, keep in tunes on how, how you can do that. If you'll be staying at home, you can still uh, join us because we'll be broadcasting those two services all right? Uh, before we got going with the service, I want to tell you a, few, a, a couple of things that have come up, that being one of them. And and one is uh, our end of year giving is really important to us. And this year, particularly, uh, the accounting department got back to the leadership with the November giving. And up until November, our giving has been pretty consistent with what had happened previous years. But November, it really fell off, which means that December is going to be have to It's going to need to be a a very strong month for us at Grace so that we can continue to uh, reach out to the people that God has brought into our lives and help them become like Christ in all of life. The vision of our church uh, cannot be held back simply because of lack of resources. So could you please give generously to Grace? We're going to especially need it this coming year. Thanks. Another thing I want to tell you about was we had... Uh, the first gathering of our staff, this is kind of like in-house stuff, first gathering of all of our staff at Grace uh, last week, first time since March. It was a hoot. And we, we, we had a Christmas party, but we kind of rolled up all the parties into one day. You know, it was from nine to one or something like that. And we had such a fun time. And what, the reason I want to tell you that is I, I think just seeing everyone together I was just so proud of them. And I bet you are very proud of them as well, because it's a crazy year that no one knew what was going on. Just like in your workplace, that's, this is their workplace. But gang, the, they, they were a team, every definition of a team. They, they did not turn on each other. They didn't like thwart each other. They didn't play, you know, like in silos and that's your job, not my job. They just, they, their, their job descriptions bled into each other. They served each other well. They off balance, but they grew together. And I want to tell you, and Here's and I thank them. I, I had to put down on, on a sheet of paper the things that we did this year. This has been an amazing year. If you remember, we were hoping when all this chaos started, we said, let's thrive. Let's thrive. Here's some things that we did, okay? This is just internal logistics, and I'll talk ministry in a few minutes. But the, the, the tech and the facilities and the operations teams all totally rebuilt everything inside this building, the worship center, so that we could continue tr- to transmit live the services that we're doing, all new equipment. They put an air, air conditioning purification systems in every single building. It's hospital grade. Rebuilt and redesigned the Cornerstone building, the children's building there. Uh, allowed us, the tech people allowed us to be able to continue almost every single ministry up to its potential using that Zoom thingy, okay? To, to have, to worship service, to come back to worship service here at Grace, it is no small task. Here are the teams involved, the connections team, the production team, the facility team, the communities work together, the the children's ministry, the youth ministry, and operations. All of that going on, thriving. And there has not been a single transmission of the COVID virus on this campus. How about that? Okay. We've had two occasions where someone had it when they were here, but no one else got it from them. So we've been just playing it safe, and you guys have been doing a great job of coming and, you know, I know, you know, playing by the rules as much as you can, and and it's paying off. Let me tell you about the ministries that have been thriving. Operation Christmas Child, we had 2,280 boxes that went out last week. But you know what? That was just a few short of the year before. I didn't realize how close we got to a regular year. We've had three trips to Louisiana to help people that overcoming the hurricane. That's been a really hard thing. We would have had more, but... Because they no place to stay, we had a trunk or treat thing this year we've never done before, and wow was that great! Because the communities got involved, and and really did an amazing, wonderful job. Highlight of the year, at least for me, and I'm sure for a lot of parents here, the youth went to camp. The youth went to camp. <laughs> Friends, there, there is no more. I don't know, sophisticated and complicated and demanding week. In the church calendar than when youth go to camp and they went to camp and they had a great time and they're again super safe there was no transition transmission of, of the virus there Kevin uh Tammy Davenport Melissa Butcher Sarah um Sarah Wren and Cole uh, Ellerbrock man those are the, those are those are heroes gang and they're going to be down there in the bottom of the courtyard <laughs> because they're still meeting right they've been meeting first The source, the ministry that we 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 try to serve as much as we can because they're trying to help women that are in a difficult time in their life with an unplanned pregnancy. This year, we gave them over sixty thousand dollars. We have given them. We've had two diaper drives for them that were hugely successful. Good times. Last, we have paid. We have bought dinner for every COVID worker on those COVID floors in two different hospitals here in Austin, Texas. We've had a great ministry. So here's a picture of our team, living life fun and safe, but mostly safe. There was, Robert won the cornhole tournament again. So we, that was, anyway, that was, everything else was great in, in that event. But I wanted you to see these guys, give these people a hand if you would. This is our team and they have done an amazing job. I love being with this group. Let me pray and then we'll get started. I gotta, <laughs> the passage we're going to look at today is awesome. Lord Jesus, I do thank you for the team. It's called Grace Covenant Church. The men and women that serve here on a professional way and how professional they are. They serve you with um, all their hearts, with joyful hearts. They serve each other. They complement each other well. Lord, I'd ask that you would still would, would continue to grant us favor in the context of just our, our getting along well seeing the the vision and the focus and that being a primary and all other things being secondary, I'd ask that you would um, continue to guard us and allow us to thrive, protect us from this virus so that we wouldn't be threatened by illness and even uh, greater illness. Help us continue to thrive in the ministry of Austin, Texas and around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Whoo. That was fun. Let's call it a day. Let's take an offering. That was great. Look, I'm just asking for a friend on this, okay? It's not my thing, but I'm asking for a friend. Um, Have you ever, like, found yourself after committing or actually recommitting for the ninth or ten hundredth time some kind of offense or maybe just an attitude that you can't shake, like pride or or vanity or just pettiness, and then you find yourself in in that um, berating yourself, like just kind of beating your, yourself down, because you're just growing weary of the cost upon your own life, but not just that, but how much other people are having to pay for your pettiness or your injuries. against God himself on his last lap with me. I mean, sometimes I know I've, I have a friend, okay? Sometimes here's what it looks like for me. I, I I will have prolonged shame and guilt that I carry with me, and I'm doing it, as a penance. Have you ever felt that? Where I want to feel bad. I have this coming. This is the punishment uh, phase in my life. And I just drag that out as longer than the Bible would ever suggest it was necessary or even appropriate. Does anybody else do that? Maybe it's just me. Yeah. What would you pay for a clear conscience? Now, I got a better question. This is even better. No, no. What would you give for the certainty of a clear conscience? What would you give for the certainty of a clear conscience? Because today, that's what we're going to look at because the Bible has a lot to say about that. As a matter of fact, the passages we're going to look at in Hebrews chapters 6 through 10, there's this singular drumbeat over and over and over again. And it is this it is Jesus. Your great high priest has completely done away with shame and guilt. That's what it's going to say. And and the way it's going to be said is convincing that guilt is gone. Shame has no place in the Christian life. And here's the thing. I'm just going to warn you right now. It's going to be repetitious. It's like nagging. The Bible in these passages are just going to nag us. And why is that? I'm going to do that as well. I'm going to look at like a third of the passages. You, you can go back and read six through ten, like five times in a row. Boy, it'll, it'll rock you. I'm going, to do, I'm going to nag because the Bible nags. And the, the Bible nags on this issue because here's the thing. We, we want this so bad. We want to be certain of our guiltlessness. And it's just on this side of hopeless. And we need it desperately. We want this. We want, to be, we, want to, we want to be completely forgiven, but we want to have confidence that we are completely forgiven. That would change everything, wouldn't it, if we are if we sure of that? So that's what we're going to look at today. And here we go. Here's how it starts. It always starts like this. Just the, the idea of the revelation of God in creation. Okay? It's, it, it starts with the nature of God. Every single humble heart that has ever stared into the sky at night and seen what God has created has responded by saying, oh, dear God. And, and, and if, if it's not just the realization that there is something else out there, it is also the longing that we have in our hearts from Eden. We know we are not like this, meant to be like this. And and we come to the realization that there must be a mighty creator and we're not like him and he's not like us. And listen, friends, telescopes and microscopes have not helped that solve the problem. They've made it harder to grasp because it's 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 given us a bigger picture of the creation. And if the creation is that big, the creator must be bigger still. We're not alone here. And everything that we can see, touch, taste, or smell... It is contingent on something else for its existence, and so, so we, all these contingent things that we experience point to something that's not contingent, an uncaused cause that got it all started. And the greater we understand, the more we understand about the nature of God that's revealed in creation, the bigger the gap we see, and, and we start we can we can start to come to realize that that God is, is way past words like brilliant and, and powerful, never touches what must exist in the attributes of the creator. And so, so the, the greater God is, the greater the gap of who we are. And there it is. There's that guilt. There's that shame. And here's the thing. If that weren't just the nature of God that we, can reveal, that we can see revealed in creation, the nature of man is this. We want to draw near to him. We're like, it, it'll kill us, but we want to go towards that. It, we're like moths to a flame, or even better, a moth to the sun. It's like, we can't go there. It'll kill us. It'll destroy us. But we cannot not go there. We are just, it's gravitational pull. And so the nature of all religions in many respects, I'll say most all religions, are this. It's this realization that God has revealed himself. We want to draw near to him, but we can't do that on our own. And so most world religions, whether they're tribal in a pagan kind of context or even more sophisticated ones, one of the things, they come up with a priest. And they say, okay, we're going to set this one guy separate and apart. He's going to be the most righteous guy. We're going to clothe him with, you know, the entire village wealth. We're going to make sure he's the best dressed and the one that's highest and, and most uh, beautiful to look at. And then, and then he's going to be in charge of going to God for us, and he will, he will give God offerings of thanksgiving. And, and certainly penalties, you know, to, like offerings for penalties. It's propitiations, appeasements of the wrath of God because of our unworthiness. That's what, that's what happens in world religions. They, they give their best offerings to appease God or to be grateful toward God. It's always their best. Have you noticed that? It's always their best. They, they throw a virgin into the volcano, right? They don't throw, like, I don't know, a, a lying, murderous biff into the volcano because what kind of God is going to want you know, a retread guy that's kind of a loser already. I mean, what kind, of God, what kind of God would the villagers be serving if they would think that God would like that? No, it's always the best. It's the beautiful virgin. That's who gets thrown in the volcano. Well, that's about as, you know, if you look at a lot of world religions, it's, it's simply that. It's, it's this exalted priesthood with really beautiful best offerings and hoping to get by because that's all you get with... General revelation. If we had special revelation, if God were to tell us, then we would know how to draw near. That would change everything. Well, the Bible is a story of the dog who catches the car. Uh oh, we did get special revelation from God, and He does say what He's like and what is required of us. It's the Bible. He explains that to us in, in the Older Testaments especially, but certainly in, in the Pentateuch, the first five books, in Leviticus particularly, he's, he's rolling out what he's like. And he says, here I am, and here's what's required. Here's what worship looks like. Here's what, here's what payment of, of sin debt looks like. Because God shows himself in the Bible to be holy. As a matter of fact, it's, it's a descriptive word that's used for God three times in a row. It's the only word that's used like that. It means set apart, different, other. It's it's a word that we can't completely comprehend. But here's how uh, blazing the word holy is. The ones that are saying holy, holy, holy are worship angels in the story. They're worship angels, and they're in the presence of the glory of God. And to protect themselves. These worship angels have to use one set of wings to cover their eyes lest they be disintegrated. That is the nature of God, the creator God, the one that's revealed in the Bible very specifically. And he just continues to say, that's how, what, what I'm like, and this is how you're to act. And so the Ten Commandments is, is not a bad first place to look about the nature of God and how we're to respond. First commandment, I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. I mean, I, Yahweh God says, Look, I'm holy. I don't, I'm, I'm not gonna compete for second place in your life. I have to be first. That's that's where I sit, that's my place. And so if you put even good things, your family first, you're an idol worshiper, your work first, yeah, that's you. Your child first. That's not where they belong. I am a jealous God because I can be. That's the first commandment. Second commandment: my 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 name is holy. My name is holy. You take it carelessly, you use it recklessly, you'd be better off never having spoken a word in your life. I have a day that's holy. Keep that Sabbath day holy, separate. It's for me. You get the idea. The Old Testament rituals that were described in particularly in the Pentateuch, in those first five books, were okay, this is the nature of God, and here's how we are to come close. How do we draw near God and survive? Now, I want to make sure you absolutely understand this, that what's described in the Bible about how to draw near to God, it's the best we can do here with all this dirt that we have to work with. That's all we have. It's just a shadow. It's not the real thing. This is more like an echo of God's voice, not his real voice. It's like yesterday someone brought over as a Christmas gift a candle, and the candle's name is Homemade Cookies. And i got to tell you, it smells just like homemade cookies. And I also need to tell you, it does not taste like homemade cookies. <laughs> and the point is to make you want homemade cookies. And you know what? There's a lot of truth to when we When I talk about these rituals, they are not the real thing. They're, they're, they're to make you want the real thing. They're going to put you in a place where you're like, I want, I want something more. This isn't enough The smell of homemade cookies. I want to eat something. So the first thing that happens when God's reeling out and describing how are we supposed to have a relationship with him, how are we to draw near to him, he says, we're going to have a priest. And, of course, it's going to have to be from a descendant of Abraham, it's Jewish, but this one tribe, that son that's better than the other sons, he set himself apart, he's the Holy One, he's Levi. So this one tribal group, one descendant of of the sons of Abraham... Levi, they were the Levites, they were the priests, and they were, they were different than everyone else. They, they couldn't own land. They have no business owning land. They, they couldn't have a job. Their job was to be a priest, and they dressed and acted different than everyone else. And they were the ones in charge of bringing those offerings of gratitude and of sacrifice to the presence of God. But here's the thing. They're just regular guys, too. I mean, right? I mean, who does a Levite offer sacrifices to? I mean, who who does the offerings for the Levite? Who's the priests for the priests? Because right now it looks like it's broken people helping broken people be less broken. But no one's getting fixed in this because it's just a shadow. It's an echo, not the real thing. Set up a tabernacle. God tells them how to set up a tabernacle, and so they do. And, you know, it's supposed to be, excuse me for a second... It's a little bit designed after heaven, apparently. There's, there's this outer court, and then there's an inner court, and inside the inner court, there's, there, there's this building, and inside the building, there's this most holy place, and you'd go inside that most holy place, and inside there, there would be the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant is, is where uh, Aaron's rod was would, would beheld and, and, and a bowl of manna that God gave Israel and also the Ten Commandments that God gave them. But here's the thing, everyone. This temple, this tabernacle that was built, it's made by men out of man stuff. I mean, it's beautiful man stuff, but it's just earthy. That's all it is. And so, how good could it be? And then, in the context of that priest, using that tabernacle, best we could do in the shadow world... They would bring offerings. And what would these Levites bring? The great high priest that one day of the year, he would bring bulls and goat blood. It would, be the, it would cost the death, it would cost the life, rather, of a, of a bull and, and goats to be able to draw near to God. And we know, come on, man, come on. That's not going to fix this. That's not going to pay the sins of people's debt. It'll pay the interest, but it doesn't pay the principal. You know that. Animals dying for our our choices? No. And so this shadow rituals, these things that were echoes, they were just the smell of the real thing. You couldn't have confidence in a clear conscience. It didn't give you that ability. It wasn't made to, but it failed desperately. And so year after year after year, They'd have to go through these rituals and rites because you never touched the principle. You only paid the interest, and it just, it, you, never had, you never had the confidence. You never had your shoulders back knowing that you were right with God, and you never knew if you could go near to Him because it was all shadows, silhouettes. But they were pointing towards something new and something bigger and better. The silhouette, the, the shadow, the silhouette was to give us an outline of a face, so that when he came, we would know it was him. And that's exactly what happened. In the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, God so loved the world, he sent his only son, and that son was a great high priest. The son was a great high priest. He was real. He was solid. He is the voice of God himself. He came to do what no one else could do. And that's the whole point of Hebrews chapters 6-10. through 10. The point of that is to give us confidence that we have a clear conscience because there's no more shadows, no more echoes. This is the real thing. And he starts off by saying, we have a better high priest. We have a better high priest. And, it's not, and, and he starts by saying, from a whole different lineage, look what he says about Jesus being a high priest. So now we have hope, and our hope is anchored for our, the anchor for our soul. And we are firm, and we're secure. Look at these words that are talking about certainty. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is a whole different lineage than the Levites, and that makes a big difference because the Levites were just like earthly. They had a lineage, they had a genealogy, they all died. But Melchizedek is different. Look at the next chapter, verse 1. Melchizedek was the king of Salem and the priest of the Most High God. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of some kings and blessed him. He blessed Abraham. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. This is the priest that Abraham gives to. This is the priest the Levites have to turn in their sacrifices to, he's saying. First, the name Melchizedek means the king of righteousness. That's a good title. The king of righteousness? It also means he's the king of Salem. That's the king of peace. He goes on. He's without a father or a mother, without a genealogy. From beginning days to the end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. This Melchizedek, like all these other Levites, they're on a genealogical ladder, and it's a broken ladder. And when Jesus comes, he says, oh, I'm I'm a high priest, but I'm from a different ladder, one that's eternal and perfect, righteous and peaceful. I'm from that genealogy. And it's not just like he's from a better lineage. He's also forever. He never dies. He, he's perpetual. Uh, chapter 7 says, And now there have been many of those priests since the death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, forever, look what it says. He has, he has a permanent priesthood. And therefore, since he's permanent, therefore, he is able to save Completely those who come to God through him, because he is always, he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus, our high priest, is always alive to intercede for us. Such a high priest truly meets our need. He is, he is one who is holy and blameless and pure and set apart from sinners, and he is exalted above the heavens. <laughs> he, to... Jesus never dies, and he's not like any other priest. He is holy, pure, blameless, set apart from sinners. That's the high priest we're talking about. That's the, and, and here's, the, here's the point he's going to make again. I told you I was going to nag because the Bible nags. Here's what he says again. Now, the main point of what we're saying here is this, that we do have such a high priest who came and he sat down on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in that sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not mere human beings. He came, he did what he was to do in that ritual, and then he sat down. There are no chairs in the earthly tabernacle because nobody takes a rest. This chair is an icon of the confidence we are to have in our clear conscience, because of the nature of the high priest. But there's more. He's <laughs> like, wait, there's more. It's not just a better high priest. It's a better tabernacle, and it's a and it's a better offering. Everything is real. Nothing's in the shadows anymore. Verses uh, nine through eleven, uh, chapter nine, verse eleven says, "But when Christ came as the high priest." Of of the good things that are now already here, he went through a greater and a more perfect tabernacle, not made by human hands, that is to say, not part of this creation. In other words, he didn't go through some man made deal made by dirt with dirt and stuff. He went to heaven. His tabernacle was heaven itself. That's the Holy of Holies that he broke into. Wait, with a better offering. And he did. Next verse he says, he did not enter it by means of the blood of like goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Debt paid in full. Be confident. A better priest, a better tabernacle, a better offering, a better cleansing. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? How much more? How about that clean conscience now? Uh Uh-huh. How about confidence in that clean conscience now? Because... He sat down. He still stays at the throne of righteousness because he still intercedes for us. Here's the summary, summary of what he's done. He's going to just say all those things over again, and I'm saving you. I'm telling you, this is, this is half or a third of what's really in these passages. But look what he says. He says it again, so that we will believe this to be true. Better tabernacle. Chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ did not enter the sanctuary made by human hands... That was only a copy of the true thing, just a shadow. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's very presence. Had a better offering. Nor did he enter the heaven uh, to offer himself again and again, <laughs> the way the high priest did. But he enters the most high holy place every, every uh, year with blood that, uh, that is not his own. He didn't do that. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of all the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then he sat down. Chapter 10. But when this high priest offered for all time one sacrifice for all sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What would you pay for a clear conscience? No, 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 no. Better question. I got a word. What would you give for the certainty of a clear conscience? It's already been paid. It's already been done. Jesus fixes the problem of a, the, the transcendent nature of God being unattainable but the gulf is gap between God and man through this high priest. And he's, he's not any priest. He's a better priest. He is, he is holy and blameless and pure and set apart from the sinners. He went into a better tabernacle, not built with hands and sticks and stuff. It was, it was heaven itself. He gave a better offering, not bulls and goats and stuff. He gave his only life for that. That's how we can, and then he came and then he sat down and stays alive to continue to intercede for us. That's how we have confidence. It's not hope, it's just remembering facts. That's what this is about. That's how we have confidence of a clear conscience. It's done, it's over. Look, I'm just gonna do it again. Look, therefore it's done. Chapter 10, verse 19, therefore, this this is the therefore part. This is the application of it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the, the, holy, the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by new and living way, open to us through the curtain, which was his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to him with a sincere heart and the full assurance, the absolute certainty that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled, cleansed us from our guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Here's another application. So let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess profess, that he who promised is faithful. Everything we just read is true. 24. And let us consider how to spur one another towards love and good deeds. Not not giving up meeting together as some have a habit of doing, but rather in encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. <laughs> you see the application there? The application is there is to continually remind ourselves of what happened with this greater priest and greater tabernacle and greater sacrifice so that we can enjoy this perfect cleansing. And then we're supposed to gather to each other as much as possible to encourage one another to love and good deeds. And that's why it says, you know, we need to meet with each other regularly. Let's, let's continue to do that. Let's continue to encourage each other. Encourage. Give each other courage. Why? Because he sits. He sits. Jesus sits, and he's alive, and he's interceding for us. And interceding for us. It, it's when he's sitting in that chair, sitting next to the Father. It's he's, his intercession is not. Uh, it's not a hey, father. I we're talking about Matt again. So here's the thing. Like, okay. I know he he said he wouldn't do it again, and then he made a promise that he wouldn't do it again, and then he promised and promised he wouldn't do it again, but here he is. So um, if you would do this for me, your son, I'm interceding for him, I'm asking for some mercy. If you could just give mercy to my children, my saint, my bride. Is that what he does? He does not do that. Jesus intercedes for us and never appeals to mercy. He goes to the Father, and he says, you are holy and just. And I appeal to this justice. I am interceding for my saint, my brother and my sister. I am the great high priest, not like other priests. I'm from Melchizedek. I never die. I am holy and pure and set apart from all sinners. I came to the absolute real tabernacle here in heaven. I didn't bring bull blood. I didn't bring goat blood. I gave my life. And so that justice that you require, and you have to have to be satisfied and continue being who you are, oh great Yahweh God, I have satisfied that. So, Father, I do not appeal to your mercy. I appeal to your justice. And if you are a just God, I speak for my son, my daughter. I intercede for them, and I live eternally to do that. How's that? For a mediator. Second verse I ever memorized. If we confess our sins, we, he, he, Jesus, is righteous and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all un- unrighteousness. Is there an appeal there for mercy? If we confess our sins, he is righteous and merciful. If we confess our sins, he is righteous and just to cleanse us, to forgive us and cleanse us from all un- um, unrighteousness. He appeals to the justice that he fulfilled. That's how he does it. That's how he, inter- he intercedes. He sits down. He, boom! I've done this. Let me tell you the day this happened to me. I'm like, oh gosh! I'm sorry about the time. So you know, I grew up. I, excuse me. I'm having trouble with the everything. So when I was, you know, as many of you know, anyway, some, I grew up a very dedicated Catholic, and uh, when I was 20 years old, it's like I'd been told so many great things uh, attending Mass all those years, but it didn't hit until I was 20 for some reason. And then, wow, did it ever hit. And the first verse I memorized was John 3.16, and the second verse I memorized, for obvious reasons, was... First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is righteous and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, that's a great verse. So I went home that Christmas. And um, so here's the thing with the Catholic church is, is they have uh, one of the uh, things, one of the practices they do, the traditions they do is called confession. And you might have seen this in movies. And I hope so. Anyway, you, you, you go into a place called a confessional, and there's a there's a priest sitting there, and there's a, a, a wall between us and a screen, so he can't see your face, and you kneel down before him, and you confess your sins, and then he forgives you sins on behalf of God, and then usually gives you a, a penance, and that usually is, you know, five Hail Marys and six Our Fathers, something like that. Then you go back, and you, you kneel down, and you, you pray those, and then you're off. You You're forgiven. So... During major holidays, days of obliga- Holy Days of Obligations, Christmas and Easter, there's a pretty big rush for people to go through the confession. And so what they did this one time is they set up, um, all the confessionals were being used, and then they put priests up on the altar, the, the stage of the church, and the priest would, would sit like this, and then you would just come up behind him and kneel down behind him and just whisper into his ear your sins, and then he would give you your penance. So, you know... All the Cassidys come in, seven of us, you know, fill up the whole aisle there, and we're going through the confessional deal. And I come up behind him and I kneel down behind him, and I'm there for about an hour and a half. If you, you know, so <laughs> uh, I go back to the pew where there's six other Cassidys on their kneelers doing their penance, and I'm, I'm two sentences into the Lord's Prayer. That was one of, one of my things that I had to do. And I, First John 1 9 hits me. And I'm like, wait a minute. If we confess our sins, He is righteous and just. Forgive us all our uh, unrighteousness. Like okay, well, so, um, in a transcendent moment of of uh, of lack of social awareness, uh, I got up from my kneeler and I went back to the stage and sat and went down on the kneeler and told that priest, I'm not confessing my sins to you, and I'm not doing this penance. And he started turning around and he realized he couldn't turn around. And he turned around. And, and my, my, I'm sure my family was thinking he's still got seven more sins to confess. But the priest and I were going back and forth up there. And I said, If I confess my sins, he is righteous and just to forgive my sins and cleanse me from all our righteousness. I don't do penance. I will confess my sins to the people that I sin against and I will take responsibility. That's not penance, that's just due diligence. So got off the kneeler, went down six Cassidys on their knees. And I sit down. And do you know why I sat down? Because Jesus sat down. And I sat down. And they're staring at me, and I'm staring back. I'm free. That was some Christmas at our Cassidy's house. (laughs) How's your Christmas going? It's not a Catholic story. I've had so many conversations with people, especially repeat offenders, and, they, and they, they want to feel the guilt and they want to prolong the shame because it's their penance. And even some people, well-meaning, have had this conversation in the lobby too many times. You know, I've just done some stuff. I don't even want to tell you, but I need to get back to church and I need to start reading my Bible again and I need to start helping other people. Like he's trying to even the score a little bit. He's like, bro, you can do all three of those things because they're healthy but they're not punishment, you know. they're not penance. If you're doing going to church and reading your Bible and trying to do good stuff, you're throwing stuff into a volcano God to satisfy him. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says this, I will send a better priest to go to a better tabernacle to give a better sacrifice so that you can be convinced that you have a clear conscience, not because of you, but because of him. It's complete, it's done, it's over, he's sitting down. Let him enjoy the sitting. (laughs) He's not getting up for you. There's so much power in shame, and I think we like the power. We want to feel bad. You can't learn when you're feeling shame. There's nothing to grow from when you're overwhelmed with guilt. And here's the other thing. When you're feeling shameful and, and guilty, you can't enjoy the freedom that comes in understanding a sitting Savior. You can take responsibility for your junk, and it doesn't matter anymore. I mean, sometimes people don't, you know, feel forgiven, and they don't, they don't have a clear conscience because they haven't taken responsibility for their stuff. You owe a guy 50 bucks. Pay him back. Maybe that'll help. I don't want to pay him back. Why don't people take responsibility? Because a lot of times, I'd be ashamed. I'd have to admit that I was wrong. What would other people say? If you start understanding the confidence, the certainty that you have in a clear conscience that comes from a better priest, a better tabernacle, a better offering, you go. What do you? I don't care what other people think about me. I'm not going to give them fifty bucks back. I'm going to give them a hundred. I want them to remember this, and I want a cockadoodle do about how good my Savior is. I'm going to dancing there, and I'm going to dance home. There's no shame. It gives you so much freedom. It gives you so much freedom. And that's why, like, when the movie Passion of the Christ came out, if you remember that Mel Gibson movie, there was a rash for two months of people confessing to things, like murder and stuff. Crimes that they had gotten away with because they saw the price that the, that the priest paid, the great high priest, their great high priest, and they saw the tabernacle that he went into, and they saw, they saw the sacrifice that he gave, and they went, well, if he's going to intercede for me, then I can take responsibility for the stupid stuff that I've done. Lock me up, I'm free. Lock me up, I'm free. I am certain of my clear conscience. You get to have fun in life when you understand this freedom. I know it takes some time. Some of you are going to have to rewrite some programming, but it's a great life journey. You'll get your playfulness back. You won't be so self-important. You won't be hating on yourself and feeling inferior because you're a child of the king. So, I hope I've done that much of a job trying to help you understand Hebrews 6 through 10 that is out to convince you that Jesus Christ is the great high priest, a different kind of priest from Melchizedek. Who never dies and is holy and pure and set apart from all sin. And he went into heaven, holy, holies, and he gave his life, the great sacrifice. And when he did that, he sat down. He likes sitting down because he lives to intercede for you. That's your high priest. Be confident. Let's pray. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, since we have so much confidence, we can enter the most holy place now. We can enter it by the blood of Jesus. It's a new and living way that's opened to us. The curtain's been torn. That was his body that was torn. And since we now have this great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, a full assurance of faith. Absolute confidence. Having our hearts been sprinkled clean, no, our, our guilty conscience having been done away with, our bodies being washed by the pure water. So let's hold without waver the hope that we profess because he made a promise and he's faithful to his promises. And hey, let's consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Don't ever give up meeting together. That's the great stuff about life. You can encourage one another. All the more. Let's do it. Until the day of his return. It's approaching. Therefore, since I have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through that peace, we've gained access by faith to the grace by which we stand. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we celebrate that, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.
1: Come, thou long expect. Jesus born to set thy peace
0: Christmas of grace, don't you? I love this church. I love you guys. I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of you guys, like I'm proud of our staff. It is a joy to be part of such a beautiful congregation. Thank you for coming. Um, Listen, it'd be great service if you want to come Christmas Eve, register online, and then if you want to serve us, you text the word Eve to that number, and then... We'll figure out a way to put you in a place that it'll serve you and serve us at the same time and more people could be blessed by your uh, involvement in your church. Thank you again for coming. Enjoy your time. Uh, Let the ushers dismiss you. We'll see you next week.